Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete. And getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. People, you know, that's been in prison five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, people don't know the, what, what has happened to you. Um, not that some people care, they might not care, but when they hear a person and they looking like, man, he's just a regular dude, he's just like me, he just made a bad decision in his life, you know, and... I go back to him like, look here, man, you want to continue being a statistic in prison? Or do you want to get your story out? That's Irlan Woods, recently released from San Quentin Prison after 20 years inside. For the last three years, he's been helping inmates get their stories out in a remarkable podcast called Ear Hustle. Ear Hustle is produced in collaboration with Nigel Poor. Nigel is a woman who met Irlan when she was a volunteer teacher at the prison. They both came to visit with me in our Manhattan studio. This is so great. I'm, I can't tell you how happy I am to be talking to you today because if you don't have the best podcast in the world, it must be one of the top two. It's just great. That's next insane. to yours. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> we're next to his. I, can you believe we're hearing that? Uh, well, hey, look, look, you know, I mean, I, I, I find it hard to listen to your podcast without getting emotional. Mm. And I'm sure that's true for many, many people. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of one where you were talking to inmates about what it was like, what they missed the most, and simple things like eggs and bacon. Yeah, opening the refrigerator. You yeah. Open it, looking and see what's there, yeah. having a choice. Yeah. But then when you get into what's really the most painful thing that they miss— their family, right. their kids, yeah, all of those conversations, like the conversation with the kid who had found out that first he found out his mother went to prison for 17 years, and then his father has to tell him that he's going to prison. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my brother. 
That, that's just what, what? What was the relationship? Bittersweet. Uh, that was my brother. That was uh, your brother. Yes. Oh my God! I, I I forgot that connection. Right. So how did that impact you? Uh, I was already in custody, you know. So um, you know, for me, it was just basically hearing things that I didn't know. You know, they filled in the blanks a lot for me, because again, being incarcerated, you don't have that uh, connection. You know, like you don't get all the information. You don't get you don't you really don't get nothing because at the time, like my brother said, he was on the run from the law. So I never had a chance to even talk to him for a few years. He used to write me every now and again, but that was like uh, here and there. So it, it, it's funny. I remember one one guy t- telling you that he, he complained to his family that he never got letters from them. And somebody in his family finally said to him. Look, that's old fashioned. People don't do that mm-hmm. anymore. They don't. They that's don't right. send letters. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I mean, it's, you really get cut off from right. changing do. changing times. But one thing that's positive about it is that the guys inside have beautiful handwriting because oh, they're really? not on computers all the time. <laughs> right. So yeah, so you, mm-hmm. you you meet some people that that enjoy the art of letter writing. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like, is there actually a lot of time for an inmate? To, to concentrate on things like letter writing, or do they keep you busy? Well, no, you, you got all the time in the world. I mean, you do have work, but, you know, you if, you, if it's an important letter, you're going to write that letter. Yeah. And you don't know? you think it depends? Like at San Quentin, guys are really busy because there's a lot of programs for Pretty them much. to do. But I, other that, that surprised me. That I, I thought that it was rare to have programs. From what well, I've read, you're, think, you're saying that there are a lot of programs. At San Quentin, uh, but I mean, not at other prisons. Uh, it so, is rare. So it is rare. Some prisons have programs, and they're trying to they're trying to to roll them out to all the prisons and different programs, you know. Um, but some prisons be so far where it's hard to get people to go. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that San Quentin has so many because it's in the Bay Area. You know, it's near San Francisco and Oakland, so a lot of volunteers go in um, to run these programs. But if a prison is like Pelican Bay, that's you know in the middle of nowhere, it's really hard to get volunteers to go in. So, Nigel, were you? running a program when you got the idea for the podcast? I was a volunteer teaching for a program called the Prison University Project, where guys can go and get an AA degree. It's taught by all volunteer professors. So that's how I started going into the prison. And that's how I met Erlon. And then I started volunteering in the media lab doing radio. Erlon, were you in uh, Nigel's class? No, I wasn't. I was in the media lab. I was doing, um, we were doing film and uh, trying to do little documentaries around the prison. That's so interesting. And and you made documentaries, and how did you show them? Where did you show them? Usually stuff that we show, it go on the closed-circuit uh, television channel within the prison. And, oh, it, and it'd be oh. stuff like graduations or uh, they have a breast cancer walk. We may document the breast cancer walk that they have at the prison. So They have it at the prison? At the prison, yep. yeah. I remember doing that. It was yeah. amazing. They they do It's over two days, and you walk around the yard um, hundreds it, of times. Yeah, it's at the same time that the breast cancer walk is on the streets. Outside, they have it inside. Yeah. That's the interesting. So in a way, you're virtually connected yep. with the outside. Yeah, right. and the other thing that's really nice about it is you walk around with different guys, so you have all these different conversations. And it sort of reminded me of an old-fashioned dance, like a guy would come up to you and say, "Do you mind if I walk with you for a while?" And you do a couple laps, and then right. you walk with somebody else. It's yeah. really and um, they, beautiful. They invite a lot of people in from the outside yeah. to come and walk with you. Yeah. So, so this is very interesting. This sounds very social, and it sounds easier to get along with one another than than it seemed to me when I was in the Utah State Prison for three weeks. I have to say I was making a movie there. <laughs> uh-huh. 
But I was there 12 hours a day for three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I talked to hundreds of people. And I was told a lot of stories that didn't sound um, like people got along easily. One guy said, you learn to be super polite. If you accidentally bump into somebody in the hall, you say, please excuse me. And you look them in the eye and you make sure the apology is accepted. Otherwise, you're liable to get a lunch tray in your teeth the next day. Yeah, well, I have a couple things to say about that. One, we're with a couple former San Quentin residents here. And walking around New York, one of the guys said, people really bump into you here. And it kind of took, he like sort of triggered him. And he said, I have to really think about it because I know people aren't doing it intentionally. Um, But what I've known, I think San Quentin, again, is a little bit different because it's also a level two prison. What does that mean? Oh, so it's a medium security. Uh Erlang can obviously speak to this, but I don't think every prison is is polite. I mean, I think there are problems at San Quentin and there's problems at other prisons, but I, what you're talking about certainly exists. I think when you when you're dealing with prisons, like you say, it was it was a difference there, like it was a tension there. So I think when you have prisons, when you have stuff to do, um, there don't be that much tension. But when you don't have nothing to do, like no programs, then you don't have nothing else to do but prison politics. Just mm-hmm. deal with prison, deal with what's in your in front of you. And so that's probably why you have a lot of uh, uh, people going at each other. You you have what seems to be a deliberately positive approach, which is very helpful to, to me as a listener because it engages me with the humanity of the people you're talking with. Do you, do you do that deliberately? Do you avoid talking about what their crimes were oh, and what violence yeah. might occur? We intentionally do not talk about people's crimes. Our, our podcast is to talk about everyday life inside and mm-hmm. how you make a life. We have had a few stories where people's crimes have come up, and we don't shy away from that, but we don't want to concentrate on it because mm-hmm. we really are trying to do what you said is to create connection and figure out how people who on the surface don't appear to have anything in common can actually have a really important conversation that's going to help both sides. One of the things that occurred to me listening to it, because I have a, I guess I have a jaundiced view of what prison has to offer. But you seem to indicate that there's a very wide variety among prison experiences. Definitely. And Erline should talk to us. But I would, I always want to come back to that San Quentin is really different. And I don't want your hustle to give people the, impre- the impression that all prisons are like San Quentin right. because they just aren't. But I think all prisons want to be like San Quentin, and people in the prisons would like them to mm-hmm. be like San Quentin. Yeah. But San Quentin doesn't sound like a picnic anyway. What struck me the most was the deprivation of the people from their, the incarcerated people, the, de- the deprivation of the community with their families. Right. And that sounds to me like a kind of emotional, solitary confinement. Being away, it is a emotional toll, you know, being away mm-hmm. from your kids, being away— from everybody, like, you might you might have pictures of people, and then I get out and I see them, and they groan. I'd be like, man, I'm still thinking of you in my head mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. six-year-old picture I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just made a case, a strong case against prison, and I, I'm fully aware that there's the idea that's really the most common idea, I think, in our culture, that if you do the crime, you got to do the time, mm-hmm. and that... It's good for everybody overall because it, it it discourages people from committing crimes. I have a couple of questions I want to ask you about that. For, one is, did, did it ever discourage you from doing a crime, the idea that you might get caught and put in prison? No. 
I, I would say this. It's just like <clears throat> the death penalty. Um, people feel that the death penalty may discourage you from doing crime. When people are doing crime, you're not thinking about the death penalty. You're not even thinking about none of that stuff. You're not thinking yeah. about the consequences of your actions. You know, because at the end of the day, you're not thinking you're going to get caught. You, it's it's so interesting. What I, the odds? I think are pretty much against you if you commit a crime, aren't they? Or if you commit crime after crime? I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. But so you I don't, think you even, don't figure. Even, even as as you said, like if you do the time, I mean, if you do the crime, you should do the time. So. Um, in California, they had a three-strike law where, okay, you won't just do the time. You would do a gang of enhancements time. You know, like uh, your crime might be three years, but you get like 25 to life, 100 years to life in, in, in enhancements. So it's kind of well, hard to just do the time. I, I know from experience that at least one person did take it seriously that uh, he that he might be up for life if he committed a third crime. I know this because he said to me, I've been here twice before, so I just want you to know if I'm robbing a drugstore and you're standing at the cash register, I'm going to have to kill you because I'm not coming back here. Um, I don't want to witness. So he figured out that he might go to jail forever. So his solution was to murder me. Wait, wait, is this a movie? (laughs) I said said to him, look, how about if we work it out right now? I won't talk, okay? He said, no, no, they got ways of making you talk. I'm going to kill you. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> no, but I mean, so and, and people would probably talk like that, but again, nobody oh, he was, feels. He was trying to, he was having fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody <laughs> nobody feels they're going to get caught. Yeah. Nobody but feels that. But that's human nature, right? Yeah. Well, unless you're. You commit a crime, you're not thinking. The last thought, you, it might run through your mind like, ooh, might get caught. But the last thought is, I'm going to get caught. And the first thought is, I'm going to get away. Wow. If yeah. I did it, then my first thought would be, I'm going to get caught. That's maybe that maybe that's a dividing line among the lot I of wonder. Us. I wonder. I would be scared <laughs> to death about getting caught. Uh, well, this guy was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty risky. He, uh, before I left on the last shot of the day, he he and another guy made me a hostage, held a knife to my throat, and then and then after a couple of minutes, claimed it was a joke. It's a real hilarious mm. guy. I don't know we about this standing, guy. We were standing ten feet from the outdoor to the outside world. Oh God! So I think he was experimenting. It was going to be either a joke or maybe. Let he me test actually... this out. Let me test yeah. this theory. See, see how far this goes. <laughs> how fast was your heart beating? <laughs> Boy, I got very still. I didn't. I didn't say anything. I didn't contradict them. I just waited. Wow! It seemed like forever. Elon Woods was recently released from San Quentin after being inside for twenty years. We'll discover how that happened in a moment. But meanwhile, I wanted to find out a little more about the practical details of making a podcast about prison life from the inside. You spend, I read someplace that you spend 10 or 12 hours a day, five days a week, inside, working. When Erlon was there, we probably did that weekly, sometimes more. Sometimes it would be seven days a week, depending on where we were with the podcast. It was both of our lives. I, I mean, I slept and I ate dinner, and the rest of the time I was in the prison working. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, but I know with us, it seemed like the podcast isn't finished until the day before it's published. <laughs> yeah. The night before it's published, it's like, all right. Definitely. And, and it, anything you do inside a prison takes forever. 
You have to get the authorities to listen to everything you yep. record before you can leave for the day. So, oh, no, 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 no. no, no. no. We, before the before the podcast goes out, once oh. we've edited it down, then it has to be listened to. So, I mean, it, that part isn't as horrible. And uh, Lieutenant Sam Robinson, who's the public information officer, is really supportive, and he does it quickly. But just for example, we had to get new computers in into the media lab mm. to work with. I think that took four months. To get so you know you can't just buy a computer and bring it into the prison. It has to go through this long um, process of technical, being okay. Yeah. yeah, technical process to be okay. So I I would say that anything inside takes six times longer than on the outside. Mm. So you just have to be so patient and right. not lose your temper. How did you get permission to do the podcast in the first place? Well, it's pretty funny. We were working on a radio program, so there was already precedent for doing audio. And the stories were being played on a local radio station. And then I heard about this podcast contest being put on by Radiotopia from PRX, and they were looking for a new podcast. So we decided to apply kind of on a lark. And I asked Lieutenant Robinson for permission, and he gave us permission to apply for it. And then after this whole long process, we won. And when I told Lieutenant Robinson we won, his response was, I only let you apply because I thought you wouldn't win. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we got permission. You you sort of crept up on them. I don't know. I think think Lieutenant Robinson is very progressive. He probably would have. Very progressive. But it was pretty funny. Yeah, that, that was his response. Yeah. But he is great, and he is super supportive. But it took a long time. I mean, I'd been volunteering in the prison since 2011. We started working on it in 2016. So I had spent a long time um, getting people to trust me and know me and feel like if we did, you know, if we did things in the media lab, like do radio and think about the podcast, that they knew I would follow the rules, mm-hmm. excuse me, and be trustworthy. And Erlon, I'm sure you guys all had to do the same thing. I mean, people had to get to know you and, right. and feel like... We're not going to squander this opportunity or take advantage of it. What's it like as you as you talk to another another person in prison? Is is it does it take a while for them to trust you? Um, I think so. I, I knew a lot of the people at the prison, or I knew a gang of people. So um, people were just more like, uh, I don't know, man. I might, and then you get them in there, sit them down, and then you like, all right, man, slow down, man. You talking too much now. <laughs> <laughs> with the older population that had been incarcerated for 30, 40 years, mm. they were more reluctant to talk because they were from a different time in prison where uh, individuals in prison didn't communicate with the media for some reason. Right. And they saw us as the media, right? right even though we were inside. That is true. That is the so, only population that still is a little still, bit of a challenge. And then, you know, we used to, we used to, we used to break them down, though, because we would go back to them. I know me, I'd go back to them like, well, look yes. here, man. You want to continue being a statistic in prison? Or do you want to get your story out? So I used to have different That's little... interesting, getting the story out, because, you know, we talk about yeah. communication and relating all the time on the show. Yeah. That sounds... I hadn't thought of that, that element that you're, t- you're speaking of now, the desire to get your story out. Right. I guess we all want to get yeah. our story out one way or another, yeah. but is it more extreme in prison? Well, I mean, so what, what, what we realize is that um, when it comes to society at large, knowing about what's going on in prison, they pretty much don't know. So the only thing they know about people is what they see in the media or see you in a, a um, courtroom or in a police chase, and that's it. You know, but people, you know, that's been in prison five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, people don't know the, what, what has happened to you. Um, 
not that some people care, they might not care, but when they hear a person and they looking like, man, he's just a regular dude. He's just like me. He mm-hmm. just made a bad decision in his life, you know? Mm-hmm. And because um, we always go back and ask people like, man, are you the same person from 20 years ago, 30 mm-hmm. years ago? You know, and most people be like, nah. Yeah. And, you know, I want to bring it back to a question or something that you said about one of the deprivations is being away from your family. Yeah. And one of the things that I personally really am proud of with this podcast is that so many people's that are in prison, their family listens to the podcast mm-hmm. and they'll come up and tell me, my daughter listened, my wife listened, right. she knows a lot more about what my life is like. So it creates a connection, it reconnects families. Even if they're listening to people that they're not related yeah. to, but they yeah. just know what the life is yeah. like a little bit better. Yeah, yeah that's because probably very important. And, and that yeah. brings one to mind. It was, a, it was a girl that wrote us talking about, oh, my father been in prison yeah. for so long and or my uncle, it was one of them. And I didn't know what to write about or what to say. And I think I, in one episode, I was like, like, just talk about your drapes. Yep. Talk yeah. About, just talk just about, about your drapes. Yeah, you yeah. Got some, I got some new drapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, people in prison that receive mail, it's the it's the envelope that comes in with your name on it that means that I love already you. gives you a shot of yeah, dopamine. I love you. Right? You, yeah. you will look at the envelope for a while before you even open it. Oh, that's a you'll great study detail. It, yeah. You know, um, yeah. you'll study the handwriting. You'll just be like, ah. And, you know, people in prison, you have a Something that you may do. You, Those you may, details. Yeah. The, that detail yeah. you just gave us about the envelope and how you look at it for right. a while. Your show is full of details like that. Some of them, I suppose, come spontaneously. But you must work hard, both of you, at getting them to dig in to their yeah. insides and come up with the details that are so meaningful to, well, to us listening. Yeah. I mean, I love details. I'm so interested in the minutia of people's lives. I think it's, those are the most interesting stories because they represent larger ideas. And so we, we do talk to people about what we're looking for, but um, I, I really believe in compassionate listening. And when you really, when somebody knows that you're really listening, they will open up and tell you amazing things. Mm. So, so what do you go? I want to hear what your personal experience is with the way you listen. What do you, what do, you do that? you're conscious of doing that leads to the kind of listening that opens the other person up? I am genuinely interested in other people. And so when I'm talking to someone or with an interview, I mean, I try to use my body language, my facial expressions, my hands. I I emote a lot through my body. And I just, I really try to encourage and let the person know that I deeply care about what they have to say, that I'm not going to judge them, mm-hmm. that it's a really safe place to be. Um, and that I'm I'm open and ready to hear whatever you have to tell me. That what you started with really struck a note with me. You're interested, really interested in other people, which sounds to me the, almost the same as saying you're curious about other people. And if you're curious about the person you're talking to, you're bound to come up with follow up questions. Yeah, like yeah. What, what, how did that happen? What do you mean by that? What what happened next? Exactly. That kind of thing, which can lead the person down the path to a more interior experience and not just the glossy one that they're used to talking about. Absolutely. Now, I... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I I, I say the one follow-up question I think Nigel had asked, one person that was the deepest to me was Phil Melendez when you oh. asked him if he deserved to oh. be out. And that was like deep. I was like, ooh, that was... That was a, hard, that was a guy who was getting out after, uh, I can't remember... Double murder. Double murder. And, um, How long was he in? 19 years. 19 years, years, seven months. 
Yeah. And we were having a really joyous interview because obviously he was really excited he was going to be reunited with his wife and his his daughter. And I mean, and I had to ask him, you know, do you feel like you deserve to get out? And it was a really hard question to ask, but it was an important one to ask. And I could see it kind of stung. I don't know if it stung, but no, he, he, was, he was more like... I don't deserve yeah, nothing, but, yeah. but do I want to? Yes, yes, but I don't deserve it. But he handled it really well and yeah. it made for a really beautiful you know, interlude between And that us. sort of ties in with what you said before about are you the same person you were 20 years ago? Right. Not, none of us is the same person. Pretty no. much none of us is I the same person. I hope not. I mean, would it be horrible if you yeah. were the same as you yeah. were at 18? But I think we want to look the same. Oh, well, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> as I said, none of us are the same. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you get more time to think. I imagine the time you spend just sitting thinking can be at least of two kinds. One kind is bitterness. Why did I get here? Um, what are they doing to me? It's unfair. There's some oh, probably always some unfair element you can come up with. And the other side is how can I live a life that is satisfying in some way, whether whether I'm in or out. But you know, one is angry, and the other is more yeah. active. What I think you have to come with the, you have to come to terms with your previous actions. You have to be accountable for the person you was, be it bad, be it ugly. You have to be accountable for, it and you have to acknowledge it to be able to move on in your life. You mm-hmm. you have to be able to um, come to your conclusion in your life to change your life. You have to come to that decision. When we come back, Erlon tells us how he came to be released from San Quentin just a few months ago and how he's adjusting to life outside and how Ear Hustle will continue telling stories now about those still inside San Quentin and others like Erlon, newly released. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University, that's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. This is Clear and Vivid. And now back to my conversation with Erlon Woods and Nigel Poor. You recently 
got out, right? How did that happen? Governor Jerry Brown. <laughs> <laughs> what did he so, do? Did he commute so your sentence? Commuted, I had a sentence of 31 years to life, um, which means I still had 10 years on my sentence to go to the parole board to even figure out whether or not they were going to let me out. You mind if and I ask you what you were in for? Attempted second-degree robbery. And what does that mean? That means that the actual case is that I ran up on somebody, pushed them down, um, sat there, and I left. That was the actual case. But the prosecution's theory was I was there to rob the person. So that's what I was in trial for. But you left out a really important Which part? thing. That you're a three-striker. Oh, I'm a three. I left a few things out, you know, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was. <laughs> so I can see how she gets you to dig down a little bit. So that's no, the glossy a, version. Was, let's, yeah, let's hear the real a, one. That was, a, I mean, the, the real version is I went, to, I went to prison before I was 17. And I went to prison at 17 for kidnap robbery of a neighborhood drug dealer. And I ended up getting 10 years when I was 17. And when I got out of prison, I stayed out two years, 10 months, until I uh, committed the crime that we were just talking about. And I, unbeknownst to me, I was a three-strike candidate because I'd only been to prison once. But they took the one felony for kidnap, one felony for robbery. Oh, so you And they said, two. that's two felonies, so this one is your third and you're oh, out of here. I thought you had to actually go away for th- two I think times. everybody thinks that. I know. There's so many misconceptions. Everybody I thought that. that, too, until I started working in uh, prison. What? But they say convictions. Yeah. Uh, so, I see. Yeah. So that's so why you can get three was, strikes in one in act. One, in, in one act, but they won't give you life at that moment. But if, you, if you're if you in jail for that and you do something in jail, you can get oh, life for that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well. So w- what what happened? What motivated Jerry Brown to— Oh, that's right. So, that's what we were talking oh, about. Okay. <laughs> to, to so, let you so, out. So I, 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 um, I turned in a— um, at the advice of Alex Malik, mm-hmm. she was like, man, because we used to go to their Restore Justice symposiums. And at the one at the symposium, she's like, man, you know, I just sat there and just was listening to you and seeing the work you're doing. You need to think about um, submitting a commutation. And, you know, when you hear commutation, first thing, or commuting or pardon, you think death row. That's what people on death row do. Because, uh-huh. I mean, being in prison, you rarely know somebody that's been commuted. And so I submitted one. And when I received the interview... It was like, oh, okay, this stuff works, mm-hmm. you know, and I had an interview, an hour interview with, with a parole officer. And then from that interview, it goes to the board of prison terms and then they make a decision, which they approved it. And then I went from there to the California Supreme Court because of my previous cases, you have to go to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So when the, when the Supreme Court came back and recommended that I be pardoned by the governor, which was in October, we knew that the next time he does, he, he had do it is either Thanksgiving or Christmas. So when Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving, we were working and that call came in. Mm-hmm. Hours after we was anticipating <laughs> it, but it came in. And uh, they called me up to the captain's porch and was like, uh, the governor uh, believes in all the rehabilitation that you're doing and, and feel that you're a changed person. So with that, he's uh, releasing you immediately. Did you know the call was coming in and you didn't know which way it was going to be? No, if 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 you get the call, that's it's only going to be one way. So the walk to the office was probably a jaunty walk. <laughs> the walk to Do the office? It? No, no, no. I, I record. I had to, I had my task cam with me. That's I recorded, right, recorded it. it. Oh, you recorded, recorded the whole, whole screen. walk. Do you know if your podcast? played a part in your getting your sentence commuted? Yes, I believe it did. It, it was a lot. I did rehabilitation work on myself. I completed a lot of groups, completed a lot of trades, um, and and the podcast was mentioned in there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was mentioned a few times. It was mentioned a few times. It and certainly did not hurt. That's a, a wonderful thing that your work, which is so powerful, has helped you. But there are other guys and mm-hmm. women right. in prison and who, who, who just aren't tuned so, into work that gets attention. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and one of the things that I, I like to explain to people, and we was, we'd be talking about this, that when it comes to being like in prison, especially under the three strikes law, I'm not the exception. I'm a reflection of a lot of people there, you know. Um, people who have changed. You who mean? have changed their life, different people, but the laws can't see that because the laws are created to incapacitate you, mm-hmm. you know, so especially the three-strike laws to incapacitate. That's actually the language. So the guys that's doing the rehabilitation and all that, they're doing it for themselves. Right. You know, because people just change. You know, people become different people, but they can't, they, they're not looked at. And the only reason I was able to be looked at is because I filed a commutation with the governor. Had I not done that, then I'll still be in prison waiting on a parole board 10 years from now. But but I have to say, Erlon, there's a lot of people who submit commutations that never hear anything. Right. There's a lot of people. So, I mean, I, I, I think that this is also a case that it, just like on the outside, it helps to have people know who you are. It helps to have people go to bat for you. It makes a difference. Mm. Makes a difference, and that's unfortunate. But that's how the world works, you know. I mean, somebody encouraged you to do it because you knew somebody. There's lots of guys in there that never get that encouragement, right? That's so, what what about the podcast? Now that you're out, mm-hmm. are you are you able to do the show the way you've done it before? We're very excited. It's going to change. So when Erlon, when we knew Erlon was going to get out. We did a we did a real job search inside of the prison. We put out an ad. We had guys apply. We got about thirty applications. We went through a three tier interview process, and we in quotes hired a new person to come on to the podcast, who's going to be the co host with me and help do interviews. And then Erlon got hired on as a full time producer. Um, Radiotopia and PRX hired him, and so he's going to be working on stories about reentry, and mm. we're going to meld the two the the two topics together. Oh, great. Yeah, so we're super excited. So your show will go on. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, And it's... you have now a new show, and you have a new a new title and new batch of work that's facing you. Yes. And you have it in your life, too. You have a batch of work, on, I imagine, on your own reentry questions and problems. Right, right. For challenges. me, for, well, for me, it's been pretty... Um, when did it's you when did you easy. get out? I got out November thirtieth, two thousand eighteen. A little bit overnight. What's days. it been like? Oh, it's been love, you know. It's been fun. It's been um beautiful, you know. I've 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 done what most people do when they get out of prison, which is pick up a gang of weight. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I understand it now. You I know? thought you were just sitting around <laughs> thinking. <What did> you... <laughs> no, the one thing that I learned is that everybody invites you to dinner. <laughs> Everybody, and then you know when it's dinner, it's dinner. You know, you just eat all the time, and that's what people like to do out here. So I want you to get more specific. I want to, I want to get down to the detail the way the way Nigel does. What 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 was your first taste of food like? What what was your first vision of something that you hadn't seen before? So uh, my first food was great. Uh, it was it was steak and eggs. Um, from a, a, a New York a rapper, Biggie yeah, big yeah. Smalls. He always says steak and eggs in one of his lyrics. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to steak and eggs. Just popped up. Like, let's go get this. Um, and what was that first taste? Like? Oh, that, you know, the funniest part was, you know, we sit now. So you go from in prison 
to to that morning. You're at a, a breakfast table, and they come with the knives. Remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I held that. a knife up. I was like, ooh, this could have had me in a hole for like. <laughs> yeah, no metal. <laughs> wow. So, and then it was different from metal touching my teeth because mm. I had been eating with plastic spoons for years. You know, so years. so the metal, you like, okay, you can't hit them that hard. Yeah. Because that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and glass? You had, had yeah, orange juice out so of glass. glass. Yeah, so right. it was just different. That part was different. Um, can I tell you a nice memory I have from the meal that we had? Because we had a meal together. Uh. We, and the, um, in prison, you can't share food. Like I, I bring my meal in, and I can never share food, and I can't eat what Erlon What's eats. What's the reason for that? It's it's um, over familiarity. Over familiarity. It, it's oh, just, oh. yeah. So what for me was really beautiful about the first meal we had together is we could actually taste each other's food. Like for mm. the first time, I could say, "Try what I'm having," and then I took yeah. a bite off of his plate, like just like you would with a friend. And like we'd never been able to do that. But I, I, I'm gonna say in prison, I don't think nobody wanted Nigel food in prison. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't bring in great enough stuff. <laughs> I always eat the same thing. I always eat the exact same meal when I'm in there, so it didn't look so appetizing. For a curious person, that sounds really no. boring. Well, I no. have a reason for it. I have what two is, reasons what for is it. it. You don't want to turn nobody on with the meal. I didn't, like, want, yeah, oh, I didn't want to tempt anybody, but I'm yeah. also a very habitual person, and when I find what I like, I'm great to eat it for six months. So I will say every six months I change my lunch. But <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. But I also didn't want to be like... Boy, doesn't this look good? I'd like to have some. So. But those relations between the people who come in and the people who are locked in sound really fraught with tension. You got to be careful you don't get too familiar right. with Very the other careful. person. Right. You don't want to you don't want to tempt them with things that they can't have like better food yeah. and that kind of thing. Is it the worst thing you can do to fall in love with somebody in prison? We actually say that, literally that in a podcast, the worst thing you can do is fall in love with someone in prison. It it puts the institution in a difficult position, um, but it's human nature. I mean, when, when people are around each other, it's bound to happen. And so what the prison, if you fall in love with someone in prison, you, you need to stop going in. Mm. You can't volunteer anymore. And yeah, it's, it's, it just becomes, it's, it's a security issue. You know, because mm-hmm. the first thing the security, the first thing the prison is thinking like, oh, if you become over familiar with this person, now you're finna start um, breaking the rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, bringing you, you can start from bringing, bringing, stuff in. bringing something small to something big. Yeah. yeah. You know. I'm curious to know, how do you feel about the whole idea of prison? Is, is is there anything useful about it for you as a person and for us as a society? I mean, is, does it reduce crime? Does it, does it lower recidivism if it's done right? Or is it just punishment? Is it just hurting somebody because they hurt somebody else? I think it's probably just hurting somebody because they hurt somebody else. And then um, you have to figure out, like, what is punishment? Is punishment for um, stealing something um I give you one year and we're going to put you through some type of rehabilitation program and then hopefully you correct your behavior. Mm -hmm. Or is that same punishment 25 years to life and say to hell with you, you know? So, um, I think prisons have to exist. I I, I have no doubt that they have to exist. Um, but I don't think that 
obviously the way they function now works. I think there's there's there would be other examples, and I think education is really important. Thinking about the resentencing and how long, what is an appropriate sentence for somebody, um, and what happens in prison, so they're not just a warehouse that people yeah. actually have a constructive life while they're in there. That prompts me to ask you: when we think about prison being a place of actual rehabilitation and not mere punishment. Mm-hmm. Some people's reaction to that is you're coddling people mm-hmm. who deserve to be punished. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you react to that? I mean, it's a, it's a common thing that if you punish a person and you keep punishing them and you don't add rehabilitation in there, that person going to get out. And the question is, how do you want that person to get out? Mm-hmm. Just a the, person that's been punished? Like? Yeah, what you yeah. want him to be like? He yeah. gonna, he, that person going to be your neighbor. He or she going to be your yeah. neighbor. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you just put a person in prison for punishment, that's just like you just lock a person in a cage and he's locked in that cage or she's locked in that cage for 20 years with nothing and then they get out. I don't know what I don't know what people expect is going to come out of right. that. You know, and again, I want to say again, I do believe that prisons have to exist. I, I do I do think that. But the question is to figure out what how does punishment work? It's a, it's such a hard question to answer, but I do see in San Quentin that having all of these programs makes a difference in people's lives because when you have a purpose, when you feel seen, when you feel like you have some kind of power, you then care about being a citizen, right? If you're just locked in a cage, why would you care about being a good citizen? Right. Um, I, I have, I, I always want to say that I care about victims of crime and I have compassion for that. And and I, I do think that people need to pay for hurting other others. I have no question about that. But the bigger question is for how long and how, and can we search our hearts to think about forgiveness um, and, and that people change. It's, it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting because I think most people in prison, most people come from an environment where they just did what they seen, mm. whether it's selling drugs, whether it's robbery. This is something that you grew up into. Yeah. It's in the environment that's normal. It's an environment. And, it's, yeah. it's, and to you, it's normal growing up, you know, especially when you start off at 13, 12, you mm. know, and, and, and your parents is working jobs at the jobs or are you know, two jobs or overtime, whatever it is. So you basically have oversight of yourself and you in the neighborhood with dudes, with like-minded dudes, you know, and y'all get into stuff. So, Well, that's probably a good reason to do what you're doing, which is to convey to those of us who don't experience that environment Mm -hmm. to realize what it's like and what the pressures are. And Mm -hmm. I think very often we say, why would a person do a thing like that? Because yeah. we can't imagine everything that led up to it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I know I've talked to guys, I can think of one guy in particular, when we were interviewing, he, growing up, he said to me, I could not wait to get to prison. I thought going to prison was regal because that's what happened to everyone in my family. Mm. You know what the thing about when, when I was younger, what you used to see when people getting out of prison, they were, they were like big... Lou Ferrino mm-hmm. type. Yeah. You know I mean, I mean, they were real big, and you're like, oh, you go to prison and come out, come out strong. muscular. Yeah, yeah. Muscular. Like, whoa! Yeah. Not that I had that, that I wanted to go to prison, but <laughs> if I did, right, right, yeah. So, well, this has been such an interesting conversation to me. I really learned a lot talking to you both, and I thank you both for the work you're doing. Indeed, thank it's you. It's just amazing. We have. Um, Seven quick questions we like to do. Yes. If you're, if you're game. You're oh, game totally, totally. How about we start with you, Orlan? Okay. What do you wish you really understood? Mm. 
what I really understood, um, I would say, so, then this might not be all deep, but I wish I understood how do you get a hundred movies on a <laughs> mini SD chip? That has been vexing me forever. <laughs> I knew these would get interesting answers. Nigel, yeah. what okay. do you wish you really understood? This is something that has, I'm going to use your, what you said, vexed me forever. I really wish I could understand the concept of infinity and that the universe doesn't end. I really wish I could understand that concept. Space? The it idea that, that something doesn't end. It don't like, end in a black hole? But then there's got to be something else. It can't end. That, so I wish I could. Maybe, maybe it does end. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we're. it's on maybe the it calendar. <laughs> I know there's scientists that understand that concept. I wish I could understand it. Okay, mm. number two. What do you wish other people understood about you? You go first, Nigel. Okay, I wish that um, <laughs> just because I'm quiet and polite, I'm not a pushover. Uh. Uh, and you wish the same thing, right? Yeah, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with her. I'm going to go with her answer because that's the deal. You got to come up with your own. I got to come up with my own. Um, I would give me the question again. Give me what do you time. wish people understood about you? Um, that um, a lot of the bad decisions I made, I made uh, at a bad time in my life. And um, I now see life differently. Okay. Did Next that question. Yeah, that, that was good. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Good. I'd give you. I'd let you out a week early. For All right. Cool. Cool. Oh, cool, 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 cool. I'm cool. a teacher. That's like a C. <laughs> okay. Here's the next one. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? Oh, that's easy. Do you miss prison? <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Nigel? Okay. Can I, I can I change it to what's the most surprising question? Okay. Okay. So the most surprising question to me is, is that the man who's saying, when my friend Billy was five years old, he wanted a doll to have and hold, that the person who sang that song wanted to talk to me. Oh, that, well, so if anybody doesn't know, that was me. On, <laughs> free to be, free you, to and be you and me. Yeah. I grew up with that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Wait a minute. What was the question again? <laughs> I, I changed it to suit oh, my okay. most surprising right. question. Okay. What, what, how, how do you stop a compulsive talker? Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, easy. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey, 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 you've been on stage too long, man. Commercial break. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> How did you, do you try to stop oh, it? I, in do, an interview, I do. I just say to someone, I got to rein you in now. But oh, she's good with that. But she's good with that. But in my personal life, I just suffer and get angry oh, inside and I don't say anything. Oh, yeah. Well, then, um, maybe that'll stop soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Commercial break. Is, Commercial is break. there anyone, this is an interesting one, is there anyone that you just can't feel empathy for? Um, people that abuse powers are racist people, mm. you know, I think. How about you, Nigel? I'm a very empathetic person, so it's hard for me because I see the sides of everything, but there is one person that is really testing that. I'm sorry to say it again, um, uh, the president of our country right now. Right. You don't like Trump, huh? Mm-mm. I do not. <laughs> you, you probably have to be a comedian to like Trump. Probably, yeah, exactly. Unlimited material. Yes. Good for business. <laughs> Good for business. Okay. How do you like to deliver bad news? In person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? Ooh, carrier pigeon. <laughs> um, I've, I've, 
I've delivered bad news by the phone, but I would probably prefer to deliver it in person. I have done it by the phone, though. Mm-hmm. How yeah. about you? Uh, if it's personal, in person. If it's business, email. Ah. <laughs> wow. Okay, last question. What, if anything, would make you end a friendship? Oh, betrayal. Mm. Wow. This is, again, this is hard because I am pretty forgiving. I don't, if people make me feel guilty about stuff, that would be tough. That would challenge it. Huh. Not betrayal? I'm especially <laughs> guilty for dropping the friendship. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you guys have been great. Thank oh, you thank so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. It was uh, great. Thank you. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsors of this episode. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. For more information about the Alda Center, please visit aldacenter.org. When Ear Hustle won Radiotopia's PodQuest contest in 2016, Nigel Poor and Erlon Woods beat out more than 1,500 entries. It was a sure sign that they were on track to create something groundbreaking. Ear Hustle has since won multiple awards, including this year's Webby People's Choice Award for Best Documentary Podcast. And the show is a frequent Peabody Award nominee, which is a credit to the incredibly impactful storytelling on that podcast. My production team and I love Ear Hustle because they never stop innovating. Each season is different, and the craftsmanship behind each episode is flawless. Nigel, Erlon, and the Radiotopia team are an inspiration to all of us, and I'm so glad they could join us on this show. The latest season of Ear Hustle debuted on June 5th, and you can find out all the details about the show and where to listen at earhustlehq.com. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Chris Volpe, a man who's trying to get an answer to a question that may have an impact on the lives of all of us. How does America really feel about science? The first thing we found through studies was that the words people use when you talk about science are very positive words. Words like curiosity, discovery, optimism, youth. And then looking a little more deeply in how people talk about it, uh, it became very clear something fascinating was going on there, that, that for most Americans, they equate the word science with hope. Chris Volpe tells me how the nonprofit organization he heads called Science Counts is hoping to strengthen America's commitment to science. Next time on Clear and Vivid. To listen to these podcasts, you can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 